Hello and welcome to the MJ Cast. It's Friday, the 16th of October, 2015, and boy, have we got a busy show planned for you guys today. We're going to be talking all about Sony investigating the sale of their share of the Sony ATV catalogue, a couple of new books that have come out about Michael Jackson's art, a new TV show centered around the last days of Michael's life. We'll also be talking about the Michael Jackson estate issuing an announcement for a new official calendar. A few new Michael Jackson and Freddie Mercury duets to be released. The song Bad being featured in an upcoming movie, Angry Birds. Paul McCartney's new music video for a 2015 remix of Say Say Say. The new Janet Jackson album Unbreakable. Q and I's thoughts all about that. And the very latest on Taj Jackson's complaint against the Daily Mirror. Lastly, we'll be covering the new TV show by 3T, The Jacksons, Next Generation, all on today's episode of The MJ Cast. The following is a presentation from The MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to The MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. I love you! <laughs> I love my fans. Just simply Michael Jackson. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. And we're on. Cool. So, happy birthday. Oh, thanks, man. Cool. Cheers. Thank you. I saw that wonderful tweet you put out. That was so sweet. Oh, no, that's that's okay, man. It's the least I can do. I just, you know, happy happy 21st. <laughs> that was a million years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, 21st birthday. That was a million years ago, it seems like. That was a, that was a big party for me, actually. We, um, we'd hired a big marquee and a dance floor and had uh, in mum and dad's backyard had that all set up. Um, and I remember actually around the dance floor, I had like, I think it was about three TVs and VCRs set up on tables, like sort of clubbish, like in a nightclub sort of setting kind of, that's what I was going for with lights and screens. And I had like footage of like Michael and concerts and, um, it was around like, uh, so what was what, that 2001, I think maybe, I think it was my favorite um, MJ year. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. Well before like, um, I think it was before Madison Square Garden. I'm trying to think when it was actually. Well, Madison Square Garden aired in Australia in the pretty late in the year. Okay, so. I'm trying to figure out when I had my 21st. Anyway, there was like concert footage and um, Michael stuff, and it was. I remember I had footage of the 2000, uh, 2000 Olympics in it. Um, oh, cool! Because of the opening ceremony and everything, because I was just blown away by the pageantry and the incredible show that um, the opening and closing ceremonies had had. So I'd sort of been at a girlfriend's house and we'd sort of edited these video cassette tapes with all this footage and had them playing around. I had um, in front of the speaker system for the music, I had like a big dangerous album cover, which my um, I'd bought off my friend, Paul Black. Um, it's like it was like a came in three. It was actually sort of like one of those CD stands that record shops used to get. Oh yeah, I know and, those. And it was like the dangerous cover, so it was come in three sections with the uh, the big eye section, um, and then the two sort of side sections with the the little cars with the characters going into the the 
sort of industrial area in the back. Yeah. So those two side sections were separate. So I had those sort of all set up in front of the um, speaker system as this big decoration, Michael Jackson decoration. Oh man, that sounds like so much fun! I reckon you would have had a rockin' twenty first. Lots of it MJ was really music, cool. I can imagine. There was lots of MJ music, which was awesome. And, and my friend Paul Black, big Michael fan <laughs> friend, he was my first Michael fan friend. When are we so getting we were, Paul Black on the show? We mention him every show. He listens to the show. <laughs> he loves the show. So shout out to Paul. And no, it'll be cool. But yeah, we were cutting up the rug a bit, and because it, it was like a proper dance floor that we had out on the backyard under this big tent. And I, I remember I'd made tickets. For everyone, like, so when everyone RSVP'd back, then I made proper little entry tickets for them as if it was like an event. So when they got to the door, they had to show their tickets to get admittance and stuff. Yeah. I did things big. That is cool. I did things big. That's epic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I was lucky. Thanks, mum and dad, for that awesome party. Oh, man. That's that's out of control. Yeah. So here we are again. Another show. Episode 18. Yeah. Welcome back to Australia. Oh, thanks, mate. No, it's... Good to be back. How's your, how's your history world tour? Oh, it was a whirlwind tour. It was like 18... Oh, hang on. How many? No, it was three weeks. Three weeks. And we went to Italy, Greece, Poland, Germany. Did a whole lot of history-related um, stuff, like travel. We went to um, some modern history sites, which were fantastic, like the um, Auschwitz-Birkenau uh, concentration camp in Poland that the Nazi Germans uh, used in the Second World War, which is a really harrowing kind of, you know, experience to go to. And it was very, very emotional for a lot of us that went there. Um, But we kind of wanted to do that at the start of the trip, actually, to start it off with something really meaningful. And, you know, it was was pretty depressing and, and rightly so, you know. But after that, we kind of built the trip up to be more positive and happy. And that's when we went to uh, Rome and experienced a lot of places there like Pompeii and then of course you know the middle of Rome itself with all of the ancient locations there uh, such as the Colosseum and the Forum and uh, then moved on to Greece and had an incredible time there exploring a lot of places Uh, yeah it was just an incredible trip so much fun being able to take I think we took about 21 students overseas uh, from from the high school I work at and because I, you know, live in a sort of a country town, like a rural location in Australia, uh, a lot of the students that I teach haven't had the experience of traveling outside even of our state of Queensland. So they haven't wow. been overseas before. Some of these kids have never even been to Brisbane, our capital city. Wow. Yeah. So to take them from this rural setting straight into like Berlin, Germany, it's like major culture shock. And they had such a blast. We did so many great things. So yeah, brilliant trip. And I can't wait to do another international excursion in a couple of years. (laughs) A couple of years, not next year. No, I'm going to give it a break. We did China (laughs) last year, Europe this year. We're going to give it a rest next year. And then after that, who knows? Maybe I'm thinking Western Europe to France and uh, Spain and maybe (laughs) Disneyland Paris. (laughs) I'm still yet to go to a Disney park. I think you'll have been to the Shanghai one by then. Next year, hopefully. So Fingers crossed for you. I'll be super <laughs> jealous because you'll be getting there way before me. Oh, well, I'm looking for that. Looking forward to that Tron um, light cycle. Oh, my God. Coaster. That looks amazing. Mm. Oh, so good. Oh, man. Well, it's so good to have you back. And uh, big thank you to Dan, wonderful Dan Vigilobos, for being an awesome co-host with me on episode 17, No Kaiju. Um, he did a great job editing, um, even stuff that I didn't know he was going to do, like putting in little song snippets and things. So, um, big love and big thank you to Dan. Um, 
you you enjoyed the show as well, Jamin, which is cool, sitting on the outskirts, having to listen from the complete unattached side. It was like um, a great experience for me because it was one of the first shows um, that I haven't really been on that I haven't also been a part of conceiving. Uh, so it was really good to just sit back over in, in Europe. I can't remember which city I was in. I think I might have been in Athens at that point. But the show, when we released the show, I was listening to it for the first time, just like a regular listener would be having really no idea what was going to be discussed. And uh, it was excellent. I loved the show. It was so much fun. There was times when I was really like laughing my head off. I'm sure the people in the next room over in the hotel were like, what is that guy laughing about? And (laughs) there were other times where I was really emotional because of the stories that were being told, Um, especially, you know, some of Dan's stories about uh, seeing Michael in London after his trial. I just, uh, hearing those stories, it was like, you know, as we know, the guy went through absolute hell in the mid-2000s in that criminal trial, and for him to come back in a positive way and want to tackle the entertainment industry again, that just, uh, I think, speaks volumes for Michael's character. And hearing that firsthand from somebody that was there at the World Music Awards, watching him conquer that stage again was really emotional, but a great, great story and an excellent show, I thought. So, yeah, thank you very much for putting out that excellent show. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for your your help prior. And uh, yeah, again, thanks to Dan, not only for our awesome theme song, but for episode 17 as well. But like you said earlier, this is going to be a, a huge show. There's been, um, it, it's even growing today. Like when I checked the show <laughs> notes before we recorded, it's already like a hell of a lot more sort of happened just today alone. So shall we get stuck into it? Do you want to, do you want to, start the news at the top yeah absolutely so we've had um, a pretty big development in the last week actually uh one of the most controversial uh and centrifugal uh elements of uh michael jackson's business world would have to be his ownership or co-ownership i should say of the sony atv music publishing catalog uh, and of course, that's uh, probably the biggest publishing catalog in the world, uh, and definitely the catalog that generates the most revenue out of any catalog. And it's co-owned, as we know, by Sony Music and then the Michael Jackson estate. Now, in the last week, uh, it's come to light that Sony has actually triggered a contractual clause, allowing them to either sell their half of the the uh, catalog, or to to buy the half that they don't already own and this is a story that was published i believe first by the wall street journal i think but uh, that's actually a paid website if anybody wants to read it i'd recommend going to bloomberg.com to see the article there because it's free to read Uh, but it's it's a really big piece of news because you know there's so much that's been written about this catalog whether you're looking at uh, linton guest's fantastic book the trials of michael jackson which is all about this catalog and the and the uh, difficulties it gave michael during his life as well as the amazing monetary gain uh or even if you listen to some trial transcripts from you know uh when michael was in one of his many court cases this catalog has always been very very problematic for michael for a lot of reasons uh uh the people the that have been circling around Michael for so many so many years, uh, perhaps wanting to get their hands on this catalogue or a portion of it. It's all come to a head now with uh, with the estate perhaps looking at buying the other half out or Sony, uh, yeah, making a whole lot of money off selling their half. Yeah, it's too early to say which way it's going to go. Obviously, um, I think 
Of course, the best case scenario would be the estate purchasing the other half, Sony's half. That I think would be, I don't know. I, I think that would be awesome if it happened, but realistically, how would that happen? I don't see how because they're going to come up with $2 billion. No, I don't see that either, especially with their 700 and what is it? 735 or something million dollar. So basically three quarters of a billion dollar tax debt that they owe the US government and the IRS from their um, horrendous filing of tax returns and undervaluing of the estate, including this half of the catalog that they uh, are said to still have 50% of, which they valued at $0 in their tax return. Mm. So like going by those numbers, hey, Sony purchased their estate's half because it's for free. Yeah, it's it's mind-blowing. It's such a mess. It's an absolute mess and it's a complicated mess too. It's because obviously we know that one of the co-executors of the Michael Jackson estate, John Branker, He's also employed by Sony Music. He represents Sony Music as one of their principal lawyers. So, or I should say Sony ATV. So, you know, not only do you have the catalogue for sale, or Sony's half perhaps for sale, uh, you know, you've got this guy who's got a foot in both camps. Kind of is, it, it makes you wonder, like, to what extent he's involved with the sale and purchase and possible purchase of this catalogue. And his commission for doing yeah. so. Yeah. Like he's you know, he's gonna get a healthy cut of this for making the sale because he's one of the people working on it as well as selling possibly his half. So yeah. But didn't he do an interview like messy. a couple of years ago where he said something like they would never consider selling the catalogue because of, you know, how the amount of monetary gain it brings in for Michael's kids eventually. Like, I'm not, I can't remember. I mean, it might not even be an, uh, a consideration that them selling their half. It's more Sony triggering this clause. Well, it has, yeah, it's been Sony. And it's, Sony's been looking at this for actually quite a while now. Uh, yeah. The Sony hack, the leaks that came through the Sony hack, um, there was communications that first brought this to light. And in a, in that communications that was leaked, I believe there was um, there was correspondence between people actually speaking about Branker's role and how it made things very awkward for certain people because of his position um, and benefit for both parties. So it's it, there is a con- there has to be a conflict of interest, and I think they were aware of that from the start. Um, how that will work out in the end too early to say so but yeah it's not this is something that sony has triggered this isn't the estate have started well we don't no. know yes they are fully supporting it they, they have to they're in no position not to and how can um, how can john branker not support it being uh you know a lawyer that represents their interests exactly it's crazy it's, it's it and, is crazy and when you're like Okay, so just as a bit of a context uh, for listeners, like this, this catalog is one that incorporates a lot of very, very famous recordings. Like it, it actually incorporates pretty much all of the Beatles' songs, uh, some Elvis Presley songs, Sly and the Family Stone, so many different artists. It generates so much money every year through advertising and different methods like that. This has been kind of the the jewel in the crown, I guess, of both Michael Jackson and Sony Music's 
uh, business empire for a long time. And I really encourage you to read Linton Guest's book, The Trials of Michael Jackson, which goes into the deep, deep history of this catalog uh, and Sony Music as a company, starting right back in the 1950s, really. And one of kind of, I guess, the uh, propositions or speculations that have always been there from Michael Jackson or some Michael Jackson fans or groups within the fan community. And this is, I don't know if I'd call it conspiracy stuff. Michael certainly alluded to it in his life. But there's always been this kind of notion that there's people out there, were people out there during when Michael was alive that were purposely trying to put him in a position of financial difficulty or bankruptcy so that he would have to relinquish his half or sell his half of the catalog. Uh, and then at that point, possibly being bought by Sony uh, themselves so they could have the whole pie rather than just 50% of the pie. Uh, and that was always kind of the, um, you know, the, the end game, I guess people would say, well, people forced Michael Jackson into doing his comeback concerts. This is it, uh, you know, so that he could, you know, generate money in order to recoup this big debt he had. And then some people say, well, he had such a big debt because it, that was put on him so that he would have to sell the catalog. Very complicated. And it would appear to me that this is just, you know, the next chapter in that story that stems right back to the late 80s when Michael first bought the catalog on the advice of John Branker. In Perth. In Perth. He came to Perth to get it, to buy yeah. that. Yeah. It's a fascinating story and it's a complex one as well, but definitely keep keep tuned to the MJ cast because it's a story we're going to follow as it unfolds. And hopefully, and we are hoping for a happy ending. We're hoping for a good ending. Like if the estate was to lose their half, that is a loss almost beyond comprehension mm. for the estate of Michael Jackson, especially since Neverland is also up for sale, which Michael might not have much of a share in. Uh, or the estate, sorry, might not have much of a share in anymore, but still, that is also a massive loss. So if Neverland was to be lost and the uh, Sony ATV share in the catalogue was to be lost, what is left, mm. really, except his name and legacy? Like, and, yeah, that's right, because, I mean, they, they might generate enough money to pay off this IRS debt, but it's not a lot of cash in the bank. Mm-hmm. So fingers crossed for a good outcome. But yeah, like you said, we'll keep you posted. Definitely. A couple of new books coming out soon, I see. I can't keep up. I really can't. I cannot keep up with all these books. <laughs> it's like every year that passes after Michael's death, there's more and more books that come. When he was alive, there was no books. There was, <laughs> no one was writing about him when he was alive. And it was very easy. It was very few books anyway. And they were all... Half of them were very dodgy and you wouldn't want to buy. But now, like, there's such quality books that I do wish I could buy them all. I can't even afford to buy them all. Big love to um, Dee Francis, who gave us copies of her book, the 13th of June 2005, Michael Jackson Innocent book. Thank you so much for that um, incredible book. Thank you for sending us copies of that. And, of course, Dee Francis actually sent us copies of the Linton guest book that you were speaking of, which I am currently reading. Yeah. for uh, research. So much love and thank you for those uh, copies as well, D. Francis, because, yeah, I can't afford to keep buying all these amazing books. So this one is by Steve Knopper. Yes. It's come out already. Yep, it's out. You can get it on Amazon or directly through the, uh, his website, I believe. Okay. And this is – he's now, is this the one where he's – 
not conducted these interviews? Well, no. So I, I can't really comment actually because I haven't read the book myself. Uh, but basically, he has done an all-encompassing career-spanning book. So this is a book. This is this guy's like a Rolling Stone contributor. Okay, uh, so he's got experience writing about Michael. He's put together an all-encompassing career-spanning book about Michael Jackson and his recording efforts and everything, the whole story, the whole big picture stuff. Kind of like J. Randy Tarabarelli style, the whole thing. It says on the website that he's... It says there's it draws on 400 interviews. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, people that I know that have read the book, uh, and there's some reviews out there that actually say that that's a little bit misleading in that he didn't conduct these interviews or a lot of them. Most of this information is plucked from already like interviews that have been done before and then incorporated into the book, which I don't actually have a huge problem with. What are your does thoughts that, on that? Well, does that include like um, our friend Damien Shields' book? That he's because those were interviews that Damien conducted with. Like, does that has he drawn on Damien's current research? I'm not sure. I haven't. I haven't read the book. I'm meaning to read it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he has because if he's drawn on 400 interviews, Michael didn't do 400 <laughs> interviews. So this has got to be with all of those collaborators. Um, possibly, you know, it could possibly draw on Escape Origins. Uh, I'm not really sure, but you know, I don't actually have a huge issue with this. Like, uh, f- okay, here's the thing: um, collaborators often tell, like Brad Sunderberg, when we interviewed him, he gave us incredible information. Amazing. But he didn't give us all the information. He might go and do another interview where he chooses to reveal other information to somebody else that he didn't tell us. And that's fine because that's his prerogative. Now, a good author, I think, will be able to engage with all of the information and choose what really fits their narrative. So, you know... I don't have an issue if Steve hasn't gone and done all of the interviews from scratch. However, I will and, and I will say that like somebody like you or I who have read a lot of Michael Jackson books, if we go and read Steve Knopper's book, which is mostly or wholly made up of already conducted interviews, we the our, our type of fan, you and I, we might get a little bit bored because we've heard all of that stuff before. Yeah. That's a good point. But a new fan isn't going to do that. They're not going to feel that way because this will all be new stuff to them. So, I Which would be good because it would all be in one location for exactly, them. Exactly, exactly. So I don't actually think there's too much of a problem with books that are made up of lots of interviews that have happened already. No, especially if it's credited correctly. Yeah. If yeah. sources are cited and credited, then that's fine. Absolutely. Exactly. So we have to remember like there's books out there being written about- As long as they were good, like accurate interviews to begin with. Yes, yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like- <laughs> there's in, there's books that have been written that are uh, based. We don't on, want no Stacy Brown interviews. Yeah, in this book. yeah, exactly. Sometimes authors on Michael Jackson who aren't as uh, how should I say uh, to be politically correct, uh, people that aren't as well researched as others. Sometimes if they interview people uh, and the facts happen to be wrong, they don't know whether the facts are wrong or not and just put it in the book anyway. So. Mm. That's, yeah, that's why I like reading Damien's work because he's like a mega fan. So he knows often whether things the case or not, even if the person who he's interviewing, even if their memory's failed, he'll know. Um, so there's you said it's up on Amazon and there's already some reviews up. Yeah, there's some there's some reviews. It's averaging 4.5 stars out of 5 stars at the moment out of 23 reviews total. I will say 18% of those reviews are one-star reviews. Uh, that's harsh. Mm, I know, but... You know, the rest of them have made up 
so that it averages 4.5. Uh, look, it, it looks like an interesting read. I reckon people should give it a shot. Might be a bit risky. If you're a mega super fan like, you know, like Q and me and people like that, then maybe you would have heard a lot of the stuff in there. But by all means, give it a go and tell us what you think about it. And also Amazon reviews are, I think, a very um, beneficial thing. So once you've read a book, go onto Amazon and review it. Yeah, It's totally. so easy to do. It's so easy to do and so quick. And it's very beneficial for people to make up their mind about a book. It's always good to make up your mind yourself. Yeah. But you're not going to go and buy a book like Stacey Brown's book if you haven't heard accurately what it's about. So moving on, to quote one of my other podcast favorite hosts, Jamie, uh, moving on, <laughs> there is the other book by Mike Smallcomb. Oh, yeah. This one looks interesting. Have you heard much about it? I think so. This is, I guess, similar in some ways where this guy, there's a lot of interviews included in the book. Yeah. Um, uh, Over 60. Was it over 60 collaborators? So it sounds a lot like what Damien Shields did, actually travel, meet these people, interview them face-to-face, go directly to the source of the information, so cutting out other editing and middle people and opinions and stuff and go straight to the source. Is that correct? Yeah, it looks that way to me. It looks, again, like a career-encompassing sort of book, a lot of writing in there. It looks like a big book, but it, it isn't released yet. But the interesting thing about this one is it seems to be specifically focused on the music and nothing else. Yay, that's a good thing already. Yeah. That's cool. And it's called Making Michael. Oh, and yeah. It's a product of five years' research. Yeah, he's put a lot of effort into this one. And uh, I saw a couple of really great excerpts from his website as well. Uh, do you mind if I read a couple? Or No, go for it. He said, The starting point was to gather all the relevant information that was already in the public domain, but hidden in online forums, court transcripts, web interviews, and old magazine and newspaper articles, and bring it under one umbre- umbrella. So he actually started by going out to all of these places online that people like you and I and Damien and stuff would have frequented and read about. And contributed to. He, yes, and contributed to. And he brought it all together into one place. But at, at some stage in his research, he kind of realized that that wasn't really enough to tell the story. And then he goes on to say on his website, my next task was to get in contact with as many people as possible who had worked with Michael in a career capacity so I could uncover new information. After all, it was always going to be those people telling the story, as they were the ones who were with Michael on every step of his journey. Over 60 of his collaborators agreed to be interviewed. I was both shocked and pleasantly surprised at how open and generous these interviews, interviewers have been with their time and insights. That's We've heard that from Damien as well. He was so grateful and blessed to have people that were so happy to, to have time with Damien to share information and and answer questions and that says a lot about not only these wonderful people that worked with michael but also how michael surrounded himself and the people that he worked with yeah totally i mean he's interviewed people like michael prince who was michael's uh, engineer during the final recording sessions of uh, his life he pretty much the two if you want to know about the last music that michael ever worked on before he passed away you need to talk to Brad Buxer, Michael Prince, Nephew, 
this these are like the team of people that Michael was bringing around him to to work on those final pieces of music that Michael was composing himself. So if Mike Smallcomb has managed to get to these people and speak to them about these recordings, I can't wait to read this book because there's some mysterious recordings out there. Mm, that sounds pretty cool. And they're all registered. Like if anybody wants to know what the names of the songs are, all you have to do is go to the US Copyright Office website and search Brad Buxer, Michael Prince, Michael Jackson. All the songs come up, like all the names of them. Uh, there's like, you know, a dozen or so or more recordings that Michael was doing. So, you know, I can't I can't wait personally to find out about these. So this guy, Mike Smallcomb, sounds like he's done a fantastic job. He's hitting... You know, all the nails on the head. He's done 60 of his own interviews and he's putting together a music-focused book on Michael's career. So I can't wait to get it. Do you know when this one comes out? Uh, No, I don't off the top of my head. But if you go to the website makingmichael.co.uk, I'm sure there'll be more information on there. He's already started putting up excerpts from the book, actually. You can read portions of it up there now. Sweet. Oh, hang on. There's a buy link here. (gasps) Oh. Oh, here we go. So if you click buy, beautiful looking website, it actually says it's coming out on October 20th, 2015. That's in four days. Four days. Happy Halloween. Oh my goodness. This is a beautiful cover. It's got a foreword by Matt Forger. Beautiful cover. It's The image is actually from the um, black or white video clip shoot. It's a still photograph. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, you can get a signed copy. It's ebook as well. Oh, you love the ebook then. Oh, I love my ebooks. Um, there's a he's a journal. Okay, I'm reading the about Mike section. This tells you all about him. It's uh, he, so he's a journalist who actually lives in England. Uh, he's lived in Germany and Cornwall. Graduated from the University of Exeter uh, with a degree in English language before relocating to London. He completed his journalist training with the Press Association. Uh, He dedicated much of the last five years of his life to delivering an unprecedented account of Michael Jackson's career, interviewing 60 of Jackson's collaborators, many of them in Los Angeles where he's actually travelled. Well, thank you. Thank you, Governor Mike Smolcombe (laughs) in England. Thank you for this wonderful book that's coming out soon. And, uh, yeah, head to our website, themjcaster.com and check our show notes for this episode and uh, you will see the link to makingmichael.uk and then you can uh, go and perhaps buy it yourself and let us know. Send us an email at themjcast.icloud.com. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. And let us know your thoughts if you're getting the book or about to read it or something like that. Okay. So Another book coming soon, our third book to talk about today (laughs) is uh, well, one we've already kind of spoken about before, and it's coming from a guy called Tavis Smiley, who's actually a TV personality and radio personality uh, in the United States. And we've talked about on a previous episode a book he's got coming out called Before You Judge Me, The Triumph and Tragedy of Michael Jackson's Last Days, which is due out in June 2016 uh, via Little Brown and Company. Uh, it's an interesting kind of sounding book. It's going to be, I'm not sure if I'd call it a novelization, but it's... The title's almost a novel. Yeah, it's, it's pretty a long. It's title. It's a long title, but <laughs> it's... Maybe he got inspiration from the history album. <gasps> history, oh. past, present, and future, book one. 
Yeah, that's long. That that's is long. long. Uh, look, I think it's going to be like a narrative-driven book about the like literally the last days of Michael Jackson and like how he passed away and why and all that kind of thing, which is going to be a sad read. It says a novelistic retelling. Yeah, that's... I see here in your notes. That makes me go, um, what a novel? Novelistics, like what point of view? Like, is this going to be like? You know, like Randy Phillips wakes up one morning and decides to go to Michael Jackson's house, and uh, like, especially with the news that you you got today, which you're about to tell us about relating to this book, mm-hmm. we will see. So yeah, on that note, um, there's just been a deal announced. Warner Brothers has, signed, has actually signed uh, a de- a development and production deal with Tavis Smiley to actually turn this book into a television series. Bum, bum, bum. So in a year's time or more, we are going to have a television series about Michael Jackson dying. Fact. Right. So well, what do you think? What are your first thoughts? Unease. Makes me feel unease. Yeah. And trepidation because TV don't tend to do these things very well at all. Mm. Um, there's going to be some like scary ass sort of portrayal of Michael that will be very awkward to watch. As long as it's okay, I'll tell you what I'll be okay with if it's like a documentary. Fine. Yeah, but it's starting to sound not like that at all. I just don't want. Do you remember the show that came out during the trial era? It was called Man in the Mirror. Oh, my God. Why do you have to remind me of that? (laughs) That was so bad. It was terrible. And that's exactly the feeling and the impression I would get from this news and description. If it's anything like that, no, I'm not even engaging with it. If If it's a respectful documentary that is an investigative journalistic style piece into the reasons behind Michael passing away, then it'll have my attention. If it's a dodgy man in the mirror style TV series with an actor that looks nothing like Michael. Okay. Let's just face it. Let's just be honest. No one looks like Michael Jackson. He can't be replicate. You can't be an actor and do Michael Jackson. No, Sandra Bullock could get Sandra Bullock. (laughs) I've always thought that. <laughs> She's got those eyes and the beautiful jawline and she'd get an Oscar for it. <laughs> she'd pull it up awesome. She might be able to, yeah. She'd have, like... to, she'd have to bloak it up. Unless it was like a totally like artistic experimental piece like um, what was that Bob Dylan one and it had like Kate Blanchett as Bob Dylan. Yeah, and... that's, that's, that's what I mean. Like getting the amazing actors like Kate Blanchett when they played Bob Dylan. That's, yeah, they could get Sandra Bullock to do that for this, but. Just this doesn't sound artistic and no, I, like your first option of being full of integrity and respect in a documentary, to, like if they did that, that'd be a first. Yeah. TV has not got a track record of doing that at all. Even when Michael tried to do it, hello, we got Martin Bashir's effort. Oh. When, when you do get stuff like that, usually it comes across like cheap CSI style rubbish. Oh my God. Um. And remember that horrible documentary called Michael Jackson's Face? How bad was that? Didn't ever watch it. Would I remember writing letters to the, the TV station that aired it here. 
or email, sorry, and just ridiculous bullshit. Ah, so much crap. I remember seeing TV ads around that time for like Michael Jackson's private home movies, and they that was like that's my favorite ever Michael Jackson. Me too. That's my favorite special ever. But the spin that they put on it, I can't remember whether it was Channel Seven or Ten or Nine or whatever it was in Australia, but they put this horrible spin on the ad, and it was like they showed a glove, sparkling glove, like reaching into like a. Like a like a cupboard or something like that, and pulling out a VHS tape, and that was meant to be like Michael Jackson hiding his like some kind of evidence or something like that, and they they put this silly voiceover over it, you know, saying what is Michael Jackson not what you to find out, and all this kind of crap, like putting a spin on it. It was pretty bad, but it was a good show. I love private home movies. That's my favorite. Yeah, I'm so glad I don't remember those terrible ads. Oh, shocking! That was a bad. Well, period. I guess we're gonna keep everyone updated on this. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty big development, I think, over the next couple of years. So uh, let's keep an eye out on Tavis Smiley's upcoming book and TV series. So also while you were away not long ago, really, was the uh, Unity Latin Tribute to Michael Jackson concert uh, kicked off the PBS Full Arts series on PBS Arts over in the U.S., Um and yeah, apparently it was a huge success. My Twitter feed, it actually was the same day that this televised that the three T boys premiered their show, the oh, Jackson's next generation. Same day. So yeah, it was the same day. So my Twitter feed, my poor iPad was like <laughs> melting. It was melting into glass and I'm computer melting. chips. Cause it was just, yeah, my timeline on Twitter and Facebook for this was just going crazy. Everyone was loving it. There was so much um, awesome feedback about the performances and the the tributes to Michael Jackson and his music. Um, even after the the controversy that we spoke about in the last episode about them um, being disqualified from the Grammys, this concert apparently blew everyone away. So we haven't seen it here yet, but I gave you a link earlier and it's coming out on DVD. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. If you go to shoppbs.org, uh, and then there's like a really long link after that to go to, but we'll put it in the show notes so you don't have to type it all. But if you go to shoppbs.org, uh, you can actually grab a copy. It's uh, $17.99. Uh, it ships in no- uh, November 17th, I believe. Uh, but yes, it is the Unity, the Latin Tribute to Michael Jackson DVD. And that will be coming with uh, two new songs and longer versions of some of the tracks that was on the televised version. Yeah, my only my only thing is I wish it was on Blu-ray. I like watching high-definition stuff. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe it'll come on Blu-ray, or maybe there's a Blu-ray out there that we don't know about, but there's definitely this DVD that we'll put in the link. But at least like Blu-ray players will upscale it to a degree. Yeah, it'll look better than if you played it on a DVD player, but nothing like a proper 1080p transfer. Uh, but yeah, there's not a lot of TV shows that get to be put on Blu-ray. They're usually no. the huge tentpole sort of uh, Game of Thrones. You know, Game of Thrones, like all the HBO stuff and and mega series, like all the big um, superhero series, like Arrow and Agent Carter and Marvel Agents of Shield, things like that. The big sort of things that are on TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah so totally. it'd be rare for like a little televised concert to come out on Blu-ray, but of course. We would not say no, especially <laughs> the the effort that Tony Sukar and all the artists put into this. Like it not only sounded amazing, it looked fantastic as well. 
I wish I could actually watch it. There's a link we'll put in the show notes as well. There is a link where you can go and watch it at video.pbs.org. But you have to be within a certain geographic region to have access to the video. And unfortunately, Australia is outside of that region. So we can't see it here. Bugger. But it says um, if you go to that link, you can actually watch the whole uh, 54-minute version that aired uh, as a part of the PBS uh, broadcast. Cool. So, yeah, check it out. And if you watched it, let us know your thoughts. Like we had some feedback from people that were watching it at the time when I put out a tweet about it, and they were loving it. So, yeah, if you've caught it since then, let us know your thoughts on the uh, the Unity Latin Tribute to Michael Jackson concert. Definitely. So new calendars. I'm trying not to laugh. Why? Or, or cry. Why? Oh, because of the history thing? No, just the way that this was announced. What do you mean? This was the uh, Michael Jackson estate is, has issued an announcement for the 2016 official oh. calendar. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. With all the stuff that is going on with all of the speculation and all the actual important stuff for his legacy, this is what they, I'm trying not to swear, this is what they issue an announcement and a statement about, is about the shop getting new management, issues with orders and a new calendar. This is their priority, is announcing a new calendar and the shop (laughs) online store is under new management. I am yeah. restraining myself from rage. Just swear, dude. It's, we haven't had an explicit oh, show if in I, ages. No, I know, but if I start, I will not stop. I love Q-Rages. Come on, remember the uh, the Cirque du Soleil no soundtrack? That was great. The, still waiting for that goddamn soundtrack. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Never. So annoyed. <laughs> oh, I'm not the only one that wants it, by the way. But seriously, you... Like, put this into perspective, we've just, just before this was the announce or the um, news of the Sony selling and putting, uh, triggering the clause to sell the Sony, the, uh, Sony ATV catalog. So that's massive news. And later in the show, we're going to be um, talking about the, um, the, what was it? The, I, I can never remember the acronym. Oh, the IPSO. Yes the IPSO complaint against the newspaper when that newspaper was going to publish this story, they contacted the estate to get clarification and statement about what was going to be published. They didn't freaking release a response to that. Almost got an F word. (laughs) (laughs) And then that wasn't the second time either. Like the first time that Taj put in a, um, you know, an official complaint about media reporting completely disgusting and inaccurate stories. Yeah. Then the then the estate was taking over that complaint, and then they never followed it through. It's it is ridiculous. And actually, I didn't think of think of this until you have just raised it. Now, there's so much going on in the world of Michael Jackson of importance, like important stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what they release a statement about: is a flipping 2016 official calendar. Like, seriously, it fills me with rage. Why can't they address the big issues that actually affect his legacy? They're talking about a calendar. So I've said my piece. I'm going to let you talk about the calendar now, and I will just sit over here quietly. 
Take it away, Jamin. I do. I do agree with you. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to be uh, positive about the calendar now, but I do agree with you. Um, Yay for a new calendar! Don't yeah, get me wrong. I'm it, happy there's a new calendar. I haven't bought one in many years. I have a wonderful collection of official calendars all through like the the 90s and the 2000s. Um, so yeah. I do have. I love the calendars, and God, some of those images are amazing and worth framing. So don't get me wrong. I'm all happy for a calendar. Because it's as long as they put proper pictures in it, I don't want any more impersonators snuck in <laughs> saying that this is Michael Jackson. Okay, so do it right, and I'm all for it. So I'm not bagging on that they're releasing, you know, shitty stuff. Like it's a calendar, and I think that's a good thing. My issue is with they're having a statement about this, the timing of said statement, and not having official statements and actually addressing big issues. So that was my issue. So I'm all yeah. for the calendar. Don't get me wrong. So the calendar itself looks a bit weird in that it's really there's no theme to it. Like um, it's cool. Like they've used really high quality pictures. It looks nice and clean. There's not too much going on in the calendar. It's just the images of Michael, and then obviously on one side of the flip page, there's an image of Michael, and then underneath that, there's a traditional looking calendar. So it looks pretty nice. Here's what's weird. There's no theme. There's like bad world tour pictures, bad music video picture. And then all four different colors of the Invincible album as a picture. Like I like that one. I would totally oh, have that. I love the Invincible colors. But, yep. So the last um, calendar that we got for this year was uh, the history, the, like the history-themed one. So we all thought, oh, we're getting a history reissue. It never happened. Um, so this calendar seems to, maybe it's an admission, like, we don't know what the hell's going on. We're, <laughs> we're just going to put a whole bunch of pictures in here, whatever. We're not doing any. But earlier calendars thing. never had themes. They were just random portrait shots. Yeah. Some had, um, beautiful, um, paintings. No, but we got the bad one. So remember there was the bad one. That was calendar. a recent one, but in the nineties yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff, they didn't do themes. like, themes there was just you know there would be uh pictures from different video clip shoots yeah um earth song photo shoots and then there'd be like you know dangerous tour pictures and stuff they've not always had themes i reckon they should do i actually think they should do two i think they should do one that's like a bunch of different pictures with no theme and then i think they should do like a special edition one which is like including images of the main product that they're releasing of that year. So say that this year, next year ends up being off the wall and I'm off hearing the wall 37 or whatever <laughs> it will actually be next um, year. Oh, well, I'm hearing from different people that I speak to that, that off the wall might be coming roughly in around February, the film. So like that, it would make sense for them to do some kind of an off the wall one, but they've obviously chosen not to. But I think it would be cool if they if they did too. They do a random one and then one that focuses on the main product they're putting out that year. But eh, whatever, we're getting to another again. This is something positive. Uh, it's a cool looking calendar that would look great on your wall with some nice high resolution images in it. And seriously, the Invincible album cover, different colors, looks great. So the actual the front of it is the. The front of the calendar, I think, is the silver in the normal standard Invincible cover, like album cover, is the front of this uh, calendar. Okay. And then when you go into the calendar, it's got one of the pages is all of the four different colors of the album. The green, the red, the blue, and the yellow special special version. I had an um, awesome cardboard version of that that was hanging in the record stores at the time oh. so on back of it was the the multicolored albums and then on the other side was a full silver cover mm. and it got damaged when um 
our house and garage got flooded in a huge storm in 2010. Yep. Oh, that's and nice. yeah, it got all warped and stuff. I'm sure it did because I don't know where it is now and I must have had to throw it out because of water damage. So I also had an awesome Darth Vader cardboard cutout that got damaged at the same oh, time. So I was spewing about that because that was from the original Star Wars DVD releases. Yeah, that's I had this sucks. Darth Vader cutout. So, yeah, they got damaged in that flooded garage incident. This picture reminds me of the Invincible era and the promotion. You, you know how there's like a lot of people say that Invincible was severely under-promoted by Sony? Yeah, and I, I believe it probably was, and especially in the US. But I don't know why. But in Brisbane at that time, I remember Invincible being pretty heavily promoted in record stores, like in HMV and different. I think places. in record stores, yes, but I think the issue was nowhere else, like radio and stuff, and or during the 30th anniversary concerts. Yeah. So, oh man, that, I remember going into the record stores and seeing those big cutouts that you're talking about with all the different colors and. Yeah, I had them. I remember sitting down at like at that time they had like listening stations where you could yes. go and sit down and put earphones on, and this this store must have been sponsored by Sony or something because they had so like the latest Sony Discmans and the and these big over ear Sony high quality earphones. And I was like, wow, new Michael Jackson album. I've just watched 30th anniversary concert. This is going to be cool. I put the big earphones on, hit play on Invincible, and then those future funk beats from Rodney Jerkins' Unbreakable started. And I was just like in sonic heaven. Like, this is cool, whatever. So did you get the album the day of release or after? After. I didn't actually buy it at that point. I listened to it in, in the shop and I was like, I'm going to get that at some point. I was still pretty young at this time, so I didn't really, I don't know if I had enough pocket money or whatever to get it. But um, the first album I actually bought was not Invincible. I was, I thought, I was kind of, it was kind of an odd decision. I, I didn't buy the new album. I thought, no, I want to go back and listen to Michael's older music before I get the new album. So I actually bought History first because I wanted to listen to all of his older songs and the greatest hits disc. And then the, you know, obviously the history album. And then a few weeks later, after enjoying history, I then went and bought invincible. Cause then I had more of an understanding of his other music. That's pretty cool. Did you get all of the colors? I got green and silver. I didn't get the other ones. Okay. I remember I'd pre-ordered them all, all of them. Wow. And so that's like what, five, five altogether. No wonder the album sales were great. Um, <laughs> sneaky trick. So collected them all. So I did that, pre-ordered them, and, oh, I don't want to tell this story. I don't want anyone to get in trouble. But <laughs> the shop, I won't say who I got them from, but I actually picked, they actually let me, um, I, cause, because at the time I was trying to organize a bit of like a little um, Michael get-together for the album launch, for the launch day. But back then there were no social media stuff except for forums and forums are like worldwide forums. So actually to have anyone in the forum that's in your local town, was a, especially a small town, was a huge thing and it just didn't happen. So I tried organising like a launch party celebration outside this large record store for Invincible. It never happened, but because I'd been trying to get something like that to happen, they let me come into the store the day before, the night, wow. the, they closed the night before and before they closed, they let me come in and pick up all my pre-orders. So I actually had the album the night before it came out. Oh, that's and cool. I remember I had 
already planned because this was a sort of a surprise. They called and said that I could come and do it. So of course I raced up there as soon as I couldn't get it, but I already had plans to go visit friends that night. So I'd gone to visit these friends and I had all these albums, these wonderful colors in these album that I'd never heard sitting in my hands, just burning a hole in my bag going, get me home. Listen to me. This is a new Michael Jackson album. <laughs> and I had to wait until I got home and then I could put it into my, God, it was some really weird brand Genesis hi-fi system and have headphones on. I think I listened to it once without headphones and then I listened to it once with headphones. And that's how I got Invincible. Great album. I love it. One of my most frequently played of Michael's albums. Mm, mine's, if it's on, it's usually in shuffle, but there's some, my favorite songs on it are um, Speechless is my number one. If I could, I think someone asked us on Twitter, like if you could only have one track off Invincible, what would it be? And I've said Speechless. Speechless yeah. That is uh, my number one. And then Threatened is a very close number two. I think Unbreakable and then Break of Dawn. Yeah. And I like Cry. I have a soft spot. For I love Cry. Well. I listen to Cry yeah. a lot. That's a good song. Cry's it's, a good song. It's it's not like as strong as Man in the Mirror or Keep the Faith or those other kind of songs you did like that, but it's still really good. Like Yeah. So I've got other stories about like the first time I heard You Rock My World, it involves a radio encased and crusted with flour, you know, like baking flour. <laughs> So I will save that story for a future episode when we're talking about You Rock My World. I can't so wait stay to stay tuned that. to the MJ cast. That's a good story, actually. And guess what? It involves Paul Black. So oh. maybe we'll get him on the show and we can share that story together. We need a Paul Black episode. It's got to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I can't my wait to meet him. first ever MJ mate. My first ever MJ mate. Very so, cool. speaking of Michael Jackson music, we may have some new MJ music on the horizon this fall. Ah, so this is funny, actually. I had this um, article bookmarked to talk to you about in the next episode because this episode that we're recording now sort of came about very quickly. Yes. With the, just the amount of news that was coming out, we sort of had to do an episode. Um, but I actually had this article. I hadn't told you about it yet, but I actually had this article. So, yeah. You ready for some more Michael Jackson and Freddie Mercury duets? I'm always ready for new Michael Jackson. <laughs> always. Like, always ready. We've heard one of these three songs before. Yes, which is um, There Must Be More to Life Than This, which we've spoke about in one of our early episodes and the awesome video. And we've heard the Mick Jagger version of State of Shock, which is on the Victory album. Yes, I think I've got the demo for the... I think I've got the demo for the Freddie Mercury oh, really? on some bootleg CD. I'm pretty sure. Maybe it's – there's so many songs that have come out now that I forget sometimes whether something's come out or not. I'm just going to do a YouTube search. <laughs> um, I'll race into the library and I'll have a look. Michael Jackson. Can you hear my footprints? I can, footprint. I hear your footprints. Footsteps. Footsteps even. Show title. Can you hear my footprints? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Michael Jackson, Freddie Mercury, State of Shock. Okay. Ah, there we are. Yep. Ah, Track two yes, on this bootleg, yes. State of Shock, Freddie Mercury. You're right. There we are. So it's very good. It's always been one of my favorite little bootleg gems. So we've got like State of Shock, there must be more to life than this, but I, I don't think we've heard Victory yet, have we? No. 
oh my god no and that will be amazing and of course hearing the others in good quality as well yeah and you know what's crazy that the the album and the tour were called victory so the song must be pretty good well i'm guessing it's just like um a demo of the song victory yeah but i mean so, i guess it must have like been a front runner for a song that they may have wanted to put on the album if they named maybe. the era after it yeah so i don't know so, we'll see yeah, hopefully, you know, this comes out um, easily. Like, I know they had some trouble with the Michael Jackson estate getting out We're, the, yeah, yeah. you know, it must be more life than this. So hopefully this is any trouble I had is sort of overcome and uh, we can get to hear this, uh, especially by people that will actually do it beautifully like they did with the um, other version of the song. There must be more life for this and the incredible video. And then also... Uh, the way like Paul McCartney handled the Say 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 re-release, you know, they when other estates handle Michael on their sort of projects, it's always such good quality and such respect and stuff. Yeah, totally. And look, if you read the Time article on this, uh, just uh, entertainment.time.com, and we'll put the full link in the show notes, it goes into a little bit more detail, definitely very vague around how and when it's going to be released. But they do talk a lot about, sort of the songs themselves when they were recorded the relationship between Michael and uh you know Freddie which wasn't the best kind of relationship because apparently Freddie was um using some pretty hardcore drugs in the studio sessions which didn't impress Michael and what didn't impress Freddie about Michael was Michael bringing llamas into the recording studio and other animals, <laughs> and other animals well can you imagine that would be that would be insane oh it would be crazy and there's like a great quote in here where Freddie's like calling somebody and saying something like you got to get me out of here there's a llama in the studio um but anyway they talked but they did work together and they did we got some stuff out of it so that's yeah that says a lot that's right. And it says here in this article that, uh, you know, the, the different remaining Queen members like Roger Taylor, Brian May, are in the studio with producer William Orbit, um, <gasps> cool. who are adding new guitar solos from Brian May along with Queen-style vocal harmonies to the tracks. Oh, my God, heaven. Yeah. So, again, like all Michael Jackson releases, really happy to get the remixes, totally happy, all good, go to town, go to town but please give us the originals at the same time. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, and I hope that we do get the originals. That would be really cool. Yeah, so we'll see what happens, but very excited nonetheless. New MJ music on the horizon. I don't know why, and I don't know if I've already talked about this on the show, I don't know why I'm not obsessed with Freddie Mercury and Queen. <laughs> oh. Like, it would tick all of the boxes of music that I would be completely obsessed by. Oh, man. And as such a character and an artist like Freddie Mercury... So, I, yeah, I don't know why I am not completely obsessed with Queen and Freddie Mercury, but, yeah, amazing stuff. And I love the story in Michael's autobiography, Moonwalk, about Michael's input in releasing Another One Bites the Dust. Is that yes, the correct song? that is it. And every single time I hear that song, it makes me think of, you know, Freddie going, oh, I don't know, we or the band, I don't know if we should release this. And Michael going, you need to release this. It's going to be a number one song. And then they did, and it was. Oh. So I always love that story. And, yeah, they're just both titans of artistry. So Absolutely. I just can't wait to hear it. I've just sent you a message which contains I see a, a YouTube link. link. You need to watch that. It's another one bites the dust live. Yeah. Uh, can't remember where. 
yep. or when, but I think right. it's from the very, very early 80s. And uh, man, is Freddie Electric in it? You got to watch this. Oh, it's, sweet! It's Thanks, one of man. it's one of two shows that were recorded on film and released <gasps> on Blu-ray. Uh, it is a beautiful transfer. The video is, is he wearing incredible. a yellow jacket? Is that the concert where he's wearing a yellow jacket? No, this is. Oh, it might be, but this song he's got nothing on but a shirt. Uh, sorry, tight white pants, which are very revealing. With a um, red stripe, maybe. No red stripe. It's got he's got no shirt on and he's got a white trucky cap. Awesome. He's so cool. <laughs> we'll and put that in the show notes for anyone else that wants to see it as well. Thanks. I'll watch that probably tomorrow if I get a chance. All good, man. All good. So Angry Birds? Angry Birds. How weird. I don't know. I don't like this. I don't like this story. I haven't watched it. I was like, I keep going, oh, yeah, bookmark this. I should watch it. I haven't watched it. Have you watched it? Yeah, I've watched it. I was like, Okay, so oh. Angry Birds is that game that took the entire world by storm on the iPhone a couple of years ago. What, like three Probably years ago three, or something? three years ago, yeah. Of course, it was a huge licensing opportunity and there's like theme park and I'm going to say, yeah, I guess it's a theme park and not an amusement park because the theme is Angry Birds and was there a cartoon show about it or something? But there's a movie coming out and oh God. the bad, the song, Michael's song, Bad, is it actually his vocals and stuff? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Hang on. Okay. You, you, you keep so talking. The estate I'm going to go the estate is licensing. Michael's recordings, perhaps, if Jamin confirms, um, of the song Bad. Licensing Michael's stuff to be used in a movie, Angry Birds. Not sure how I feel about it. I guess, you know, it's good that it might suit it. It might be funny. be good if they sort of like licensed his music to be used in um, some actually um, good artistic movies, like songs like scared of the moon and things like that yeah i agree it's sometimes it can be cool if michael's music is used in song uh in movies this is not one of those times no it's not okay (laughs) you you watch the if you watch the trailer oh god well to me it's it's tacky it's these it's a 3d animated movie Okay, first of all, if you're a 3d animated movie and you're not made by pixar most of the time (laughs) i'm not gonna like you Okay, sometimes I do Hotel Transylvania. That was great. but a ca- The first or the second one? I heard the second one is absolutely mind-blowingly stunning. Well, I haven't seen that, but the first one I loved. Okay. Uh, you know, already you're on the back foot with me. Then, if, if you're really as bad as the Angry Birds one looks and you decide to put a Michael Jackson song in it, you're going to piss me off. I was It was tacky as hell, man. I don't know what oh, the Michael man. Jackson estate are thinking, giving okay. Bad, one of the greatest songs and recordings ever, to an Angry Birds movie. How well, I- they, like, they like to hook up with quality releases and put quality, oh. their, their, their quality products to, uh, you know, attach to other names that are just of a higher quality. So, But you know what? Maybe kids will go and see it. And if it is in the movie, maybe it's only yeah, in the trailer. It might be um, the if it's trailer. in the movie, kids might, oh, what's this awesome song? The best thing about the movie is this song. What is it? Yeah, that's true. So maybe true. that's, I don't know. We'll see. I, don't, anyway. I just think it's like cheapening the brand. It's like... Of course it is. When, when, okay, so Michael owned the Beatles music publishing rights. He like never, ever or rarely let those songs to be kind of used in TV ads and stuff like that. It just didn't happen. 
That's yep. the reason why you saw you heard so many cover versions of Beatles songs on TV ads with the lyrics changed to be about the company is because they probably weren't allowed to use the actual song. Yep. And now suddenly the state's letting uh, bad be used by Angry Birds. I don't know. they got to really tighten up what they're letting get out. Like that, yeah, anyway, rant over, but... People are out there walking around on bad 25 flip-flops, so... Let's leave it at that. Yeah, and let's leave it at move that. Move along. <laughs> oh, okay. So what? Uh, what, what about it? What about we uh, have a little ad break? Have you had any Pepsi lately, Q? Pepsi next. I had it in the last episode. You heard me crack the can. Oh, you did too. I'm yeah. in the mood for some Pepsi. Okay. got a can to crack so that was my fake can crack <laughs> usually i drink coca-cola i will admit but occasionally i'm in a Pepsi full strength mood. oh no i usually have uh diet coke i find that coke zero is just a little bit weak i don't know why it's oh really okay because if i were to drink coke it would be coke zero yeah um or full strength i would never touch diet coke i think it tastes disgusting um <laughs> but we serve we serve coke products on board yeah yeah and often it's like, you know, big, beefy, burly guys who are working at mines and gas rigs and stuff. And, <laughs> you know, when they ask, because over here in Australia, our petrol is like leaded petrol or unleaded petrol or diesel or gas, gas, and it's like not gasoline. It's like proper LPG kind of gas, I think. But yeah, I could, when they ask for Coke, I say, was that full strength or like leaded or unleaded? Like unleaded, we have Coke Zero. They go, oh, full strength. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a full strength Coke now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the entertainment. Did you like the Paul McCartney say, say, say video clip that came out? It was all right. Did, what? It was okay. Really? Yeah, it I looked, loved it. It looked great. Looked great. Yeah. Uh, the dancing was great. Yeah. Well, what else is there? No story. I wanted a story. I wanted. I wanted like the first one, but part two. Mm, sorry to say, Michael's gone. Yeah, but he's the only one that did stories in his videos. Do, do you think though that they could have got those kids that were dancing and like got them to do stuff, like rip people off or be like modern day charlatans? Like, 
mm. Paul and or Mac and Jack were in the video. I don't know. I really liked it. It was just a really nice sort of... Um, it was fun. Feel good, fun, sort of positive video, yeah. I thought. I, like, it, it really reminded me of the Sigala video. For, oh, yeah. Um, what is that song called? Oh, my God. I need a Pepsi. It's got ABC in it. Yeah. Big Love. I don't know. Mega Love. YouTube it while I'm talking. Huge Love. YouTube it while I'm talking. Find the name of Sigalia (laughs) video. So while you're doing that. So I love that video. It's an incredible video where little kids are sort of uh, dancing and stuff. Easy Love. We were so close. We were hitting everything except that. Okay. Easy Love. (laughs) So it really reminded me of that with the cool dancing and stuff. Yeah. Oh, look, so it was. I, I thought it was good. I really liked it. Now, like we spoke about in the earlier show, I loved the 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 song. So hey, it was better than Hollywood Tonight. Oh my god! <laughs> what? Don't bring it down, man. Sorry, stop bringing it down. Sorry. Now, <laughs> okay. So, new Janet Jackson album. It's come out. Unbreakable. I love it. So good. Hey. So good. Oh, ha- so good. Have you been listening to it a lot, or? I cranked it again today. I'm going to have to buy another copy. I'm going to wear my CD out, I reckon. <laughs> well, I, at the moment, I've been listening to it in the car. So today I had a lot of driving. I did like a 45-minute drive south and then another 45-minute drive back home. It's only 15 minutes to go and pick husband up from work and back. So I've had it going probably one and a half times, got through it today. Um, it's such a – oh, my God. So strong. I love every single thing about it. I love every song. I can't pick a favorite because there's like 15 favorite songs off the album and the song, the album's got 19 tracks or something. Yeah, yeah, How many, yeah. Has it got 19 tracks here? It's got, um, hang on, I'll just check it out on my iTunes. Because it goes for like 77 minutes or something. It's like dangerous length. It's a very long album. It go, it's got 19 tracks, including, go. that includes the No Sleep remix at the end. I don't have that. Oh, iTunes only, maybe. It's really cool. It's a good remix. What are your final two tracks? Um, well, before the remix, Well Travelled and Gun Be Alright. Um, you're missing out on some songs, man. What? Yeah, I don't have the No Sleep remix, but I've got Promise of You and Love You for Life. Okay, a little bit angry now that I don't have them. I want them. This is see, iTunes isn't always the best. I know you love your iTunes. Go to the shop. Twenty bucks, JB Hi-Fi, nineteen track album, finishing with Promise of You and Love You for Life. I think in America they might be the Target exclusive, and in the UK it could be the HMV. But in JB, this is just the standard Digipack album, mm. and it's got nineteen tracks and including, yeah, those last two. So, um. Yeah, I love it. It's such a good album. I love. Oh my god! Seriously, I can't even say all the songs that I love. There's, There's so many of them. To- my top super 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 mega mega hoop super duper favorite ones are probably should know better. Um, Broken Hearts Heal, hmm. Night, which hmm. I know is one of your favorites. Um, Take Me Away, uh, Lessons Learned, Black Eagle, Well Traveled. So pretty much the going to be album. all right. It is. It's nearly the entire <laughs> album is my favorite. There's no songs that I skip. I'll notice. I noticed you didn't say Burn It Up. I thought that was too obvious. I love that song. I love Damn Baby, Burn It Up, Unbreakable. Seriously, it's it's basically the whole album. I just adore it. It's, I think it's her finest work in such a long oh, time. I agree. And it, I think it's her strongest oh album since. Okay, definitely since All for You. 
and yes. maybe since the Velvet Rope. Yep. Like, how do you feel? Because it's not really a concept. I remember when you spoke about this album together last time on the show, yeah. you were saying how you love your concept albums and how, um, you know, the interludes and things like that. This is definitely not a concept no. album. So how do you feel about this not being a concept album? Uh, it's like a Michael Jackson album. It's like the concept is that everything's different. It's like you listen to one song and it's a modern Marvin Gaye, Neo Soul, sultry masterpiece. And the next song is like futuristic East European nightclub craziness. And then you've got a rock song. It's all over the place, but that's what makes it so fun and cool is because you never know what's next. Uh, yeah. It's so varied and it's it's really eclectic and I love it. I think every song is really strong. Um, so strong. Her, yeah, it's 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 a great album. I think there's some great statements that are made throughout it as well, uh, in terms of lyrics. But ultimately, like you can tell that her passion was in this music. Uh, her heart was in it. You know, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis put everything that they had into it. They did an incredible job. The production on this album is mind-blowing. It really is. It is mind-blowing. I listened to it on a really long drive home at night on the way back from Brisbane to when I was driving back to Moranbar. And, uh, or halfway through the album, I hit a kangaroo, which wasn't fun. Um, but <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> like, okay, I know. you haven't told me about that story. I'll tell you later. It's really you annoying. Okay? One. Oh, I'm fine. I just cracked the front of my car, which was really annoying. But, um, so like people overseas are going to be just blown away by that. over here. That's like a normal um, thing to hear. Okay, but this night when I was driving home, it was three a.m. and I'm out. not I'm not joking. On the, there's two 100 kilometer stretches um, in a certain part of uh, central Queensland on the way back to Moranbar from Brisbane, and basically on those 200k stretches, I saw no less than 80 kangaroos. And a lot of them were in like packs and they were jumping everywhere. It was crazy. It was like, it was out of control. I had to slow down from like 110 Ks an hour to like, you know, 10 Ks an hour in a tiny distance just to avoid these big kangaroos jumping all over the road. It was out of control. When I lived in Queensland and we used to go visit my granddad, my late grandfather who lived in a country town called Surat, which is out, probably the guess. Yeah, so it's out near Roma, which is seriously, it's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, the game we used to play on the humongously long, boring drive out there was count the dead kangaroos oh. from all the roadkill. And we would get up to the 80s just of dead ones. So, and everyone out there is all crying, hearing about all these cute Australian animals getting killed and hurting cars and stuff, but that's just reality in Australia. <laughs> Absolutely. Whether it's cattle or kangaroos, it's uh, out in the bush. you got to watch out. So you you guys are okay, though? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're fine. Our car's okay, not cool. fine. Our little Mazda's not fine. Did it, we're fine. Lucky you weren't listening to a CD. It, it would have made it skip in your, your player. <laughs> well, I was listening to Janet, and I turned it down for that little stretch, but it was, um yeah, brilliant album. My favorite is Night. I don't know why. Ever since I heard it, there's just that funky bass line. It's a beautiful song. And then the piano at the end, it's like a very modern sort of disco, I guess, track sound dance song. But it's got this piano that like would you would really think at first listen would be at odds with the rest of the sound, but it goes quite well. I thought it was... That's the whole album to me is this this juxtaposition of different sounds against each other that are really interesting. 
nothing's hardcore. Like even when we're talking about like say dance tracks or rock, no. nothing is hardcore. It's so finely balanced. Yeah, it is very that balanced. A song that you would class as a rock song or a dance song will have a beautiful piano in it as well. Or there is just plain Janet with a piano on like say oh. two tracks. Then there's like country songs. Yeah, there is. This a, album a is track. so finely balanced. It is so lush. It is so optimistic and so deep and so perfect. I just, it is incredible. Do you think her voice has changed? Oh, I was thinking about that today. There's a song, The Great Forever. Mm-hmm. Her vocals in that blew me away. Like when she really gets down and deep. Um, it actually, when I was, well, I listened to that song the other day in the car and I only had it on half volume. And I thought it was a Michael song. Cool. It sounds like a lot like her brother, I think. The great her vocals are on point. Like, yeah. I don't think she's ever sounded as like She's learned a lot through her years, and it's all come to fore in this masterpiece, really. It's a beautiful It album. is. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. I, I'd say it's... I was... You know, it's, t- it's blown me away because I've made no secret of the fact that I think that Janet's career was on the up and up all the way through, and I think she reached her artistic peak in the Velvet Rope era, and then, and maybe All For You, but definitely after All For You, uh, you know, I felt that there was an over-reliance on other hot current producers and less of Janet's natural style with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, and I kind of felt that her quality of her output was a little less over the years. Uh, But this is different. This is a total return to form, uh, this seems to me to be the next artistic chapter in her career after that late 90s greatness. I hope it lasts. I hope, like I know the plan with the um, the record company is like basically a three-year plan, which includes the tour and this album. Yeah. So we'll see what else comes out. And um, But it's all – so, yeah, it's number one. Oh, it's a seventh number one album. Incredible. Like – the record speaks for itself. And it sold a lot too. So it was released on October 2nd and then, a, you know, a week later, ending the week ending October 8th, it had sold 109,000 copies. And that's without much promo, like except for online, like basically social media stuff. I have heard no other promo or seen no, no other promo us- at all. Usually she does like Ellen and, you know, or whatever, like different talk shows. Like she, I could imagine her sort of going on The View or something like that. But, you know, usually she does those kind of talk shows. But this time, no, it's been very quiet. A lot of so Twitter congratulations. Activity. Oh, yeah, totally. She's loving Twitter, which I love because I love Twitter. Yeah. Um, but her tour is going well. She's just announced European tour dates. Um, congratulations, Janet, on the yes. success of this album. We will do all we can to support it because it is well worth every bit of success it gets. Incredible. Go and get it. If you're having second thoughts, don't. It's so worth it. It's And Janet is one of three artists now to have a number one album for the last four decades. And she still looks the same age. Like, this woman is immortal. <laughs> oh, she is. I don't... Oh, she's incredible. And I just wish her the very best. I can't wait for her tour to be announced for Asia and Australia because I'll be there. And I just want to... I just want her to continue putting this great material out. I think she will now that she's got her own label with... um, What's it called? Rhythm Nation or something is the actual... Yeah, Rhythm Nation Records. Yeah, it's being distributed through... Oh, it's partnered with BMG. They're doing a great job, great album. Can't wait for more stuff in the future. It's been a great year, hasn't it? We've had new music from a lot of the Jacksons. 
Yes, and oh my god, it's been the year of the Jacksons, really. I love um this the song even though Janet's album's like high rotation for me at the moment, the song I keep going back to right now is Summertime Feeling. It's such a good song, Jermaine. I love it. I I've love been playing it so much, like every morning. Isn't it good? Every morning. It's so it gets solid. Me in, it gets me in such a good mood. It's, it, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible sounding song. So what we might do now is let's uh, – we've received an audio submission from, um, you know, uh, one of our uh, longtime collaborative partners on the MJ cast, Charles Thompson, who's uh, who often contributes to the show when we talk about legal issues in, in the Michael Jackson world. And uh, as we know, recently, uh, Taj Jackson actually uh, filed a complaint against the, the UK newspaper, The Daily Mirror, about one of their uh, stories earlier in the year. And uh, unfortunately, the IPSO in the UK have recently rejected uh, Taj Jackson's complaint. Uh, and we're just going to cross over to Charles Thompson now from uh, England, who's going to talk to us about that particular ruling and why that ruling was made. Hi, guys. Thank you for inviting me back onto the show, this time to give you a summary of Taj Jackson's complaint to the British press regulator Ipso about a story published in the Mirror earlier this year. I was very vocal on Twitter a few weeks ago about Ipso's failure to uphold Taj's complaint, which I thought was an appalling decision, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about why. Uh, In April this year, the Mirror ran a story claiming that Michael Jackson had paid roughly $200 million to boys who had accused him of sexual abuse. The story did not cite any source or evidence for that figure, and the Michael Jackson estate later issued a statement which said point-blank that it was bogus, a statement which the Mirror refused to run. The story in the Mirror also made several other misleading statements, among them was a claim that so-called damning evidence had been omitted from Michael Jackson's 2005 trial, and the story also included a quote from a press conference by Latoya Jackson in 1993, in which she was quoted as saying that she believed the Jordan Chandler allegations. Taj complained to Ipso uh, on grounds that the Mirror had breached the accuracy clause of Ipso's code of conduct. He said that Michael Jackson had not paid $200 million to supposed accusers and challenged the newspaper to provide a single shred of supporting evidence. He added that it was highly misleading to refer to so-called damning evidence being omitted from the 2005 trial and that it was extremely misleading to quote Latoya Jackson's press conference since she had now publicly retracted those comments on multiple occasions explaining that she was in an abusive marriage and had made those comments under duress. The accuracy clause of the Code of Conduct specifically states that misleading reports are in breach, as are distorted reports. Taj argued that by quoting Latoya's 1993 comments without placing them in the correct context, that they had since been retracted, uh, was a distortion of the truth and had been deliberately misleading. Correspondence went back and forth between Taj, the Mirror and Ipso for roughly four months, and in that time the Mirror conceded that it had never possessed any evidence that its claim about the $200 million was true. Rather, it said that he had simply copied the story from the New York Post, uh, a story which was written by Stacy Brown. The paper claimed it had contacted Stacy Brown to ask if the story in the New York Post was true. Unsurprisingly, Brown said it was and that it had come from impeccable sources, but he couldn't tell the Mirror who they were. Uh, Taj Jackson informed Ipso that both Stacy Brown and the New York Post had provable histories of publishing inaccurate and fabricated information about his family and provided evidence to that effect. He said he thought it was out outrageous that a British newspaper could publish a story which was based purely on the words of such untrustworthy sources. 
Meanwhile, the Mirror said its reference to damning evidence omitted from the 2005 trial was based on the widely reported fact that prosecutors had claimed Geordie Chandler had accurately described Michael Jackson's genitals in 1993, uh, a claim which Judge Rodney Melville banned them from discussing in front of the 2005 jury. Uh, as we all know, and as has been written about extensively, Jordan Chandler's description was far from the smoking gun the prosecutors claimed it was. In fact, it was presented to two grand juries convened in different locations to deliberate over his accusations, and both of those grand juries refused to bring charges against Michael Jackson, despite this so-called bombshell. Uh, there's an old saying in America that a grand jury is so easy to get an indictment out of that you could indict a ham sandwich. So that tells you just how compelling or damning this evidence must have been. Targe argued to Ipso that it was factually inaccurate to describe this information as evidence at all. He said it was nothing more than untested claims by prosecutors. He also argued that describing it as damning when it had never been tested in court was baseless and said that this demonstrated a failure by the newspaper to distinguish between factual news reporting and commentary, which the Ipso Code says should be kept separate and clearly signposted. Despite Targe's overwhelming case, the Mirror only offered to run a tiny clarification in the newspaper stating that the Jackson family disputed the original story. But Targe said this was unacceptable and that the Mirror should be forced to run a clarification stating the factual position, which was that it did not possess and had never possessed any evidence to support its story. The Mirror refused to run that clarification and so the case went to an Ipso board meeting. As we all know, Ipso ruled in favour of the Mirror. In my opinion, this ruling was perverse, ridiculous and indefensible. The ruling accepts as a matter of fact that lawyers had claimed Michael Jackson paid $200 million to accusers, and the ruling says that as long as the Mirror made clear that these were only claims by lawyers and not facts, the story was fine. This is despite the Mirror being unable to present any evidence that any lawyers anywhere had ever made this claim, and admitting to Ipso that its only source that any lawyers had made this claim was a disreputable journalist at an American tabloid. The ruling is tantamount to saying that it's perfectly acceptable for a newspaper to publish a deeply upsetting and lurid story without a single speck of supporting evidence, as long as it copies it from somewhere else and the originator says that it's true. That is farcical. Ipso is supposed to ensure that newspapers in the UK report with integrity and in accordance with a strict ethical code. What message does it send when the regulator permits newspapers to publish stories for which they cannot find any proof? That is idiotic and it makes a mockery of the entire regulatory process. Ipso also ruled that the Mirror was entitled to report that lawyers bringing the 2005 evidence back into court believed it was damning. However, that's not what the newspaper reported. The Mirror simply stated that the evidence was damning. Regarding the clearly deliberate attempt to mislead readers with the LaToya Jackson quote, Ipso said the Mirror was free to report comments made by LaToya and that it was not in dispute that she'd made these comments and therefore it was not inaccurate to publish them. This is so ridiculous it is almost laughable. Ipso has sanctioned a demonstrable breach of its own ethical code, and the decision is also completely at odds with other judgments that the panel has issued. For instance, since the judgment was issued in response to Taj's complaint, Ipso has upheld a complaint by Mohammed Al-Fayed. Al-Fayed had complained that the Times newspaper had insinuated he was the source of a video which showed members of the British royal family making Nazi salutes. Ipso ruled that there were multiple 
stories about the tape's origins in circulation, but crucially the panel ruled that because the true story was already in the public domain, the Times had breached the accuracy clause by still publishing a different, inaccurate version of the story to support its own angle. This was no different to what the Mirror did, deliberately using an old Latoya Jackson quote to shore up a negative story in the full knowledge that she had since strenuously retracted it for more than a decade. So Ipso appears to have one rule for Muhammad al-Fayed and another rule for the Jackson family. The deranged decision on Taj Jackson's complaint was Ipso's second perverse ruling in a matter of weeks. Shortly beforehand, it had ruled that the Daily Mail had not breached the accuracy clause by reporting on a supposedly angry phone conversation between former Prime Minister Tony Blair and Speaker of the House of Commons John Burko, even though both men, the only participants in the phone call, had stated to Ipso that the story was untrue. In light of Ipso's ruling on the Taj Jackson complaint and on the Tony Blair complaint, I see no reason why any objective person should have any faith in Ipso's decision-making. In my opinion, it has demonstrated that it's completely incompetent, inconsistent and ineffective as a regulator. It is mind-boggling that a newspaper can concede that it has published a story for which it possesses not one iota of evidence and still have the industry regulator come down on its side. None of us can have any trust in a regulator which could make such an utterly indefensible decision. So thank you, Charles, uh, Huffington Post writer Charles Thompson, for that insight into that, which, of course, was another thing that filled me with rage this week. I think it's disgusting that that ruling happened. Um, and I think that sort of just proves who the media is looking after. And the truth is not what the media and journalism is about anymore sadly no i couldn't agree more it's a very frustrating scenario but it's good to know at the very least that we've got people out there like taj who are willing to fight for uh, michael's good name and to to go up against some of those media organizations that continue to this day to release rubbish stories against michael just to make a dollar Nice little song uh, for your birthday, Q. So happy birthday again. Thanks, man. That's going to be in my head for the rest of the night. <laughs> uh, no, that's okay. It's, uh... I'm going to Roller Derby tonight, so I know they'll probably play some Michael in the soundtrack Ooh. for Roller Derby. It's the grand final for Perth Roller Derby. <laughs> no, that's one of my favorite songs. I think it's from the Dangerous Sessions. Uh, really, really good song. It's a shame that that one wasn't on The Simpsons. It was, yeah. But, well, it wasn't you know, his voice, though, was it, in the song? On the no, I tweeted out a link this week, actually, about the the vocalist that did the v- vocals for that episode with Michael. Yeah. And 
no one really knows 100% the reasons why they couldn't use his vocals for the singing part, but his stories were very funny. Um, I'll try and send you that link so you can put that in the show notes as well because that was a great little radio interview about that vocalist. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to hear it. Did you get to catch up on the Jackson's Next Generation episodes, one and two? I think the new episode's coming out tonight. Thanks, Marco. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, Marco. Thank you. Us poor people in Australia who can't access the show through proper means have to rely on Marco. Um, <laughs> but if it were in proper means, we would totally support it. Oh, but, dude! As soon know, as give it, us an option. As soon as it comes out on DVD, I'm buying it. Like, well, I hope it does. But have you been enjoying it? Loving it. I've seen episode one and two. I watched them the day I got back from Europe, and man, it was just really a, an incredible show to watch. I think I was actually messaging you as I was watching the show for the first time, and I was blown away. And really shocked, it was very different to what I expected. When I went into the show for the first time, I thought it was going to be very upbeat the whole way through. I thought it was actually going to be all about 3T making new music and, and that kind of thing. But it's definitely not just about that, no, is it? It's a, a third of it is about that because it kind of it's got these three major story arcs that go through it, one for each of the brothers. And uh, like there is that in there, but then there's a lot of times in the show that are very real and very raw and dealing with very, very real issues that people face every day, like weight issues, uh, weight issues, relationship issues, yes. mo- money, bills, family, uh, issues, family health. issues, health. Yeah. There's some big stuff in this. It's so, like you said, it's very raw. It's very raw. And you need to be prepared if you're going to watch it, that it's going to be pretty emotional. Cause there were times in it seriously where I was tearing up, like, and I was tweeting, I, I messaged you during one of those times yeah. um, where I was like, Oh man. Cause it just really drove home. Like this is, you know, the stuff that people face every day and the Jacksons are no different, but when the and sh- people sorry. don't know that, like because of this show, people are learning. This is the reality not what people are reporting and reading in the media because it is so far from the truth. That's right. And the thing that I love about the show is it'll take you through ebbs and flows, uh, peaks and valleys. It'll be one moment will be hilarious. You'll be laughing your head off at something that's happened on the show. It might be an interaction between the brothers or something like that. And um, Prince, usually Prince, Prince is like, in the funny They scenes. might be playing paintball or something like that. Or Royal, he's pretty funny. <laughs> and then the next minute, it'll be a fight between one of the brothers and their wives or something like that. And you're like, whoa, whoa, that's, you know, heavy. And then it'll be back to being happy again. So it takes you through this emotional roller coaster from the start to the finish of the show, which I think is actually really effective. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a very, very special show. And if you're a fan of the Jackson family uh, and, and, you know, Michael as well, like you need to watch this show. It's great. They reference um, their uncle Michael a lot. Mm. I think I think maybe the basis of the show initially was to get the truth out about Uncle Michael, but to do that, you have to talk about the family as well. So it's a beautiful show. It's very well produced, very well put together. Um, I'm loving watching the Three T Boys Hello Man Crush Monday <laughs> on the TV. <laughs> the hotness of the Jackson brothers. Um, They're very good you know, looking. I'm loving. They are those jeans. Damn, damn, baby, <laughs> as Janet would say. So, um, no, it's a really good show. It's very entertaining. It's a heartwarming show. It's real, 
and yeah, it's beautiful and they're doing a great job. I, can't, I don't know how long it goes for, um, but we'll be watching it from afar. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if there got to be a season two? That'd be really cool. Oh, I just, I can't get enough of it. It's like you're keeping in touch with members of the Jackson family. It's like, and it's, and the best part about it is, I find, I feel really, I don't feel bad watching it. Like if I watch some paparazzi footage on TMZ of Jermaine or something getting out of a car and talking about something, like I feel a bit bad because it's like, well, did Jermaine actually have a say in whether this is coming out or not? But this show, it's like, this is what this, this has got the approval of the family for us to see. So I feel comfortable watching it. Yeah, totally. Love it. We'll be talking about it again. So what's been what's been your favorite moment so far on the show? Um, I loved probably the most heartfelt for me was when um, Catherine was talking about the boy's mum, the late mum, Didi. Yeah, that was a really beautiful moment. Um, I thought I was really proud when TJ told his brothers about little Rio mm. and why he wasn't. TJ does so much. Like, you know, he looks after, like, he's got nine kids that he's responsible for. And that's the premise of the show is that Tarrell's, like, wanting 3T as a band to continue. And he's like, let's go, let's go. We've got to record. We've got to put stuff out. This is my livelihood. Let's do it. And he's got this passion for music. And TJ's like, well, I really want to do that. But right now I have all this responsibility around me. I'm, like, you know, guardian to Michael's three children and all of this other stuff. So he's got his own children. And and then Taj has got, you know, he he has his heart in the music as well. But then he also filmmaking is his love and his promise that he made to Michael before Michael passed that they would work on that together next. And the fact that he defends Michael's name so much, he does an incredible job by doing that. Um, I I just I love them all. They're such good guys. They're real. They're you know, it's incredible to watch the realness of this show and just get to know the real story behind these these gentlemen oh. and their families. And the Jackson family as a whole, and just, just I think another highlight was just um, you know when when Tito comes in to see the love oh. from the different generations, <laughs> yes. like you know from Papa T down to you know to Royal and stuff like that, and then when um, all the boys went camping, yeah, as well, just to see the the strength of the family and strength in numbers, and just you know like they credit Catherine and Joe for making their family, rightfully so. And the respect within that family and the love. And we can, like, all learn a lot from this. There were some funny moments when one of the cousins, I think it was Siggy or, oh, no, I can't remember which cousin it was. But I he, think it was Siggy. He was like, oh, um, we have to credit all of the dance moves out now on the Jacksons, including, oh, what was the one he said? The, was, the bump, the twerk. The, the, the twerk. And then oh, Prince was yeah. like, no, no, we can't take credit for the twerk. That's the one we can't take credit for. <laughs> yeah, there's some really good moments. Oh, uh, yeah, there's some awesome moments. And, yeah, very much recommend the show to everybody to get to, to watch. Um, it's on the Lifetime Network, I think, in the US. Uh, and if you're overseas and you don't have access to it, Mm, there's a guy on Twitter called Marco that you should start following. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we can really say. <laughs> so this that show sort of relates to our finds of the week this week, doesn't it? Which we're going to share. Yeah, totally. We'll we'll get the word out on that one. So the three T our find of the week this week is the three T EP, the story of love. We sort of mentioned it in the last episode, but tell us more about the EP. Beautiful uh, little extended play. Uh, album that you can grab from 
iTunes or a bunch of different places, but it's excellent. It's uh, available now if you go to music re- retailer and try to track down 3T's The Story of Love. It's not just the one song, The Story of Love. There's actually there's another song on the on the EP as well called Forever Girl, which is the fifth track on the EP. So there's the first track, which is The Story of Love, and the fifth track, Forever Girl, and all the tracks in the middle, two, three, and four, are various different versions of The Story of Love. So there's an instrumental version, a backing track version, and an a cappella version as well. Now, The Story of Love, the song, is really sweet and heartfelt. It's kind of like a low-key, acoustic-driven track with beautiful vocal harmonies between the three T brothers. And it's a real return to form for the guys. I don't think, you know, I mean, we've got to acknowledge the fact that Tarrell is such an incredible producer and uh, you can see that in so much of his work, whether it's the original brotherhood album, the identity album by three T or even recent stuff like the uh, song that he co-produced with Corey Rooney, the Michael Jackson song, She Was Loving Me, the version that never came out on the uh, the Michael album. Tarrell's an incredible producer, and that really shines through on the Story of Love EP. Have you had a chance to listen to it, Q? Not in total. I got a little bit of birthday money today, so I'll be getting some iTunes credit to get this and Jermaine's and Tito's new music, so... I'll have listened to it soon, I hope. Yeah, I, I'm thinking... I've listened to the samples and I love it, like the one that we played in our last episode. Just the audio quality. It's like when you turn it up real loud on big speakers, it just, just sounds great. Like the clarity of their vocal deliveries and the instrumentation is amazing. Beautiful song and Forever Girl is, is similar. It's very, very sweet. Uh, I highly recommend that you get it. It's very relaxing, classic 3T vocal harmonies. Very, very good stuff. Cool. That's our shared find of the week. We don't have separate ones this week. Nope. Sorry, guys. We both had that one as our find. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So, I guess you've got to get off to Roller Derby pretty soon. Pretty soon, yeah. What about some thank yous? Yes, I just loaded Facebook up. That tall bird just sent me a birthday awesome day message. Thank you so much. Um, Also, while we've been recording the show, on Twitter, Clint NB sent me a birthday message also. So thank you for that, Clint. I got that as we were recording this episode. And now I'm just firing up Facebook because my Pages app is being stupid and not working. So I'm hectic have to go straight to the Facebook app to go to the MJ cast. <laughs> is your Pages app working? Mine's like crashing. It's constantly. been crashing in the last week ever since I did the update. So I think- Oh, okay. So it's not just me. No. Cool, cool. So just quick few thank yous from that today alone. Jesse DeVore, Jesse DeVores, thank you for my birthday wishes um, as well. And Kelsey, is it Kelsey that's commented? Oh, no, that was for Tito's birthday. <laughs> Sorry. <me. Q. laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. Good on you for commenting on that, though, Kelsey. Thanks. So um, we also had some feedback from uh, Sandra. Sandra Fakers O'Brien on Facebook about the last episode, which we loved. Thank you very much for that feedback. Also from um, wonderful Mary Anthony sent uh, wonderful feedback for the show, uh, as well as Jerome um, Horn as well. Hope you're well, Jerome. And I think was it Azza that sent a great wrap-up or a review as well. So thank you so much. Um, and again to Dan, big thanks to Dan as well. Totally. 
I've got a couple of thank yous I want to thank Dan as well for editing the show but also Q thank you so much for holding down the fort while I was away uh, with the show it was a great episode and everybody that has listened to it and given us feedback has definitely enjoyed it I also want to thank uh, Sarah Angus we've got a bunch of great messages from her tonight as well it's so good keeping in contact with our longtime listeners who have been engaging with the show ever since we started at the beginning of the year uh, so yeah thank you for that Sarah also, James, just want to say thanks as well. You know who you are. Uh, you do an incredible job of keeping the show up and running. Uh, so thank you, James. It would not be possible without uh, your expertise with the technical side of server stuff. So thank you. Love you, James. Thank you so much, brother. And I think that's nearly a wrap. Let's talk a little bit about how people can find the MJ cast online and subscribe to us. I will let you tell them about our email because we love hearing people on um, email as I bring up the other links because I can't remember things off the top of my head. So the mjcast at iCloud.com is our email address. Uh, We love receiving mail from listeners all around the world. Just even feedback about our show, like what you think could make it better or what stories you've really enjoyed hearing uh, that we've been telling. Or You know what really helps as well is when people email in uh, news stories. Uh, so we do a lot of research to stay on top of everything in the Michael world. But seriously, if you guys hear about stories or have any exclusives or anything that you want to get the information out about, send them through to the MJCast at iCloud.com and we'll make sure to try and include that uh, definitely in uh, the show for you. Awesome. Yes. And, and for people that are not on social media, which is a huge number of our listeners, we thank you for listening. Email us to that, the MJCast at iCloud.com because We love hearing from you as well. We might not talk to you on social media, but we love, love, love getting your emails about the show. So, but but for those of you that are interacting with us on social media, we're on Facebook as the MJ cast, facebook.com slash the MJ cast. We are on Twitter at the MJ cast, Instagram, the MJ cast on Tumblr, the mjcast.tumblr.com had a great few shares this week of our stuff that we put up. Thank you so much. We're sort of still on YouTube for now. Not long to go. <laughs> Until we'll be December. back fully. Yeah, we'll be back fully in a couple of months yeah. as um, forward slash plus the MJ cast. And of course, our companion website where all of the links are for everything, all of the shows and the subscribe buttons is themjcast.com. So that is your portal for everything if you need to find anything quickly. But of course, subscribe to us on iTunes. We love that. Rate and review the show to let other people know about it. Tell your MJ friends about us and the show and our website. And yes, what were you going to say there, Jamin? Oh, I was just going to say that um, when we release a new show, like it's we we are getting the numbers. Like this show is doing really, really well. And we can't wait to reveal some of those numbers this Christmas when we do a bit of a statistical rundown of how we've gone this year. And uh, that's all due to you guys. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. When you guys see a new show come out and you listen to it or download it, that's really cool. But if you really, really liked the show, uh, jump on the website and click the share links and try to share it to Twitter or Facebook or whatever your main networks are because uh, the best way for our show to grow is when our listener base shares out the information with their uh, own social media groups so we can uh, engage with more and more Michael fans. So make sure to get that information out so our show can keep growing month over month. That's right. This is a show for fans, and it's just a show by fans. We're just fans. Nothing special. 
not experts in any field, although Jamin's good at all the technical stuff. I'm certainly not. You're the um, social guy. I'm yeah, I'm talk a lot on social media and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. And I love it. I love talking to our listeners, so thank you. Um but yeah. I can't even remember what I was gonna say. You were gonna say that uh we were saying get the word out about the show or something. So I can't even remember. Yeah, all good. Well, you better enjoy roller derby. And hopefully there's oh. some MJ music there that you can use the hashtag today I heard MJ. That's right. Thanks for reminding me. We have a hashtag. Whenever you're out and about, and Sarah Angus, you're the best. You're amazing at this. You hear so much MJ. Um, you know, to hashtag today I heard MJ on either Instagram or Twitter. Share that, link us, and yeah, when you hear that Michael song in the distance, there's your hashtag that you can tweet about it or Instagram or Facebook. Hashtag today I heard MJ. I'll be doing that tonight, I'm pretty sure. So we're going to be back in a couple of weeks' time with another episode. I think we've got a Halloween special coming up. Probably for Thriller Night. Thriller Night. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This is Q signing off. Michael on. And this is Jamin signing off as well. Keep Michaeling. Oh, that was a million years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I had had a huge 21st birthday a million years ago. Um, we had a dance floor and a marquee and obviously lots of Michael stuff. And I'd set up some um, like TVs, like random TVs. And I think it was even VHS that I'd made all these. Uh, I think there was about three TVs set up around the marquee with just random uh, video clips of cool stuff that I really loved at the time playing. Uh, Q, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Damien's calling in. Hang on. Yeah, can you answer it? Answer it all we're on air. Just send you a voice to text, bro. Did ya? Yeah, you should read it. Dude, we're just recording. You're on the air. Oh, <laughs> you should read the, the voice to text out loud. Hang on a sec. Where is it? It didn't even come through yet. Well, it's on its way. Hey, Damien. I don't think... Damien can't hear you because you're on my earphones, Q. Oh, okay. Oh, hey, Q. Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> what did he say? He said, thank you, sir. Yeah, and the, and the, te- the voice to text says, I'm going to crush your balls with a monkey wrench. <laughs> nice. You uh, officially can't put this on the show now. <laughs> <laughs> it actually says, I'm going to crush your testicles with a monkey wrench. What? Why do you want to crush my testicles with a monkey wrench? Just when it gave me an option to leave my 10-second message, that was what came to my mind. Wow. Genius. Yeah. I know, right? You know who doesn't have testicles anymore? Um, who doesn't have them anymore? Yeah. Uh, doesn't have any or just doesn't have one? Does, doesn't have any. They've been removed.
uh, and I know them and you know them. Yep. <laughs> Dave, it's the only common theorem that we have that the male that I know that you know. How do you know it's human? Uh, you don't have a dog and your cat's male and female? Yeah. Oh, well, then one of your cats. One of my Come cats. On. Yeah, what do you mean? You should have been, you should have been clear enough to know. Dave! Dave has no testicles! Dave, one of his testicles removed! Dave's, ah! Dave definitely has testicles. Yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> All right, mate. Yeah. Anyway, dude, so sorry. I, I really got to fly because we've got to get this show in the can tonight. Oh, man. We've got so two hours to do it. No, that's all good. Let's catch up later, all right? Right on, man. Okay, right. see Have ya. Good show. Love you guys. Bye. Yeah.